What's up? This is Rayshon Jenkins, and you're listening to the Chargers Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Chris Harry with you on another episode of Chargers Weekly, our second one this week. Hope you guys are having a great week. Training camp coming to a close as we prepare for week one and the Cincinnati Bengals. Coming up around the NFL's Mark Sessler and Dan Hans is going to join me. We talk all things Chargers, including hard knocks. Dan writes a weekly hard knocks column on NFL.com. So we dive into hard knocks, plus expectations for the Bolts in 2020. Can they be one of seven teams to make the playoffs in the AFC? So without further ado, here's Dan and Mark. All right, let's bring in my guys, Dan Hansis, Mark Sessler, around the NFL. These guys all over the podcast scene, NFL Network. You guys got a show. How's everything going, guys? I don't know, man. We're just trying to survive. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, listen, we're alive. It looks like football's coming. There's no complaints to be had, even if both Mark and my houses are on fire. Yeah, I think like at least at least it's um it would be tough if only one of us on the show, for instance, had uh you know little rascals running around uh from six in the morning <laughs> till six at night while you're attempting to yeah. cobble together football takes. But we're all sort of in the same boat and uh that helps a little bit. You you can commiserate a little bit, but it's um I you know, I've always wanted weird years to happen in America. Now we're in one and I'm not sure I am enjoying it quite as much as I thought I would. Yeah, not not this kind of year. Wait, first of all, have the have the little rascals jumped into any any shows, any podcasts? I'm sure it's happened once or twice. No? I think it happened. It happened so. It was such a novelty. I think ac- across the board for everyone early, and now it's just like, not only am I slightly sick of my own children, I'm sick of Greg's, Greg's kids. Kids, I'm sick of everyone else's <laughs> kids. I don't need to see anyone else on TV anymore. But that, but Dan, maybe you have a sunnier view of that. <laughs> no, I think the last time that Walker jumped on. Greg's mic, his young son. I think I snapped at him and told him to go to his room. <laughs> That's just how it is. You're parenting other people's kids at this point in 2020. You got it. Oh well, God. hey guys, I, I I love doing this with you. We do this every year, and you know we're we're seven days away from Chiefs Texans. But I want to talk some Chargers. And Dan, you do this awesome write up of Hard Knocks each episode. Just want to get your overall thoughts on this season, what you've seen from the Chargers specifically. Um, I feel like the last couple of episodes have been skewed a little more heavy charges. Maybe it's just me, but it seems like it was kind of like a 60-40 split this past week. Yeah, and I think that's what it's been, and it's a good thing. I remember speaking with uh, the executive producer and the showrunner of Hard Knocks before the season began, and I asked the question, so if one team becomes a little more interesting than the other team, are you going to try to do a 50-50 split, or are you going to follow the story? And he gave me an answer like, there's going to be plenty of stuff on each side. But at the end of the day, I think the Chargers are, are a more compelling team, which I think is a victory for the organization. Because if, if you're talking about people on the outside that aren't following the team day to day, it was hard to really put an identity on the Chargers. And now that you're getting inside that building and getting this great access, the episode that we just saw was incredibly uh, powerful with yeah. Anthony Lynn, who's just revealed himself to the greater public to be just a great leader of men. Special teams coordinator George Stewart, the address that he delivered in the locker room before the scrimmage was canceled at SoFi Stadium. I think it's been a great peek behind the curtain to see the leadership that's running that franchise. And you got to be feeling pretty good as a Chargers fan when you see these guys at the controls. I I think the best thing about Hard Knocks is when you learn about, for me, the coaches. And like I became this huge 
uh, Anthony Lynn fan during this. And, and we have a text thread, a bunch of us, um, you know, NFL guys and gals. And like, we, t- we kind of like, you know, weigh in during hard knocks. I think Anthony Lynn has won um, a number of people over and I, I've been pretty hard on the show and I, in general, and it's this season though, um, the last episode to me was the best hard knocks episode I've ever watched because it just veered so far away from familiar beats and kind of captured a really wild week in America uh, in a way that really nothing else had. I don't know if it's a season that I would sit down and binge watch two or three times because it's yeah. pretty sober and heavy, but um, it's been it's been the best the best job HBO's done I think in a while. It's relatable to what's happening today, and and I was driving up. I was at that what was supposed to be a scrimmage. I know DJ and Money were in the booth for it. Everybody was ready to see these guys take the field. And uh, you just got the sense that things were going to be a little bit different. And I think Tom Telesco kind of put it best uh, when he was interviewed on the field. It's like, we've been waiting for this stadium to be built for three years. But just today was not the day to play football Mm. in that stadium. And, you know, you you go there. I I can't even describe the place. It doesn't look real. It looks like you're stepping into a Madden game. It looks fake. Um, So I I can't (laughs) wait for these guys to actually – hit the grass and, and, and play football, but just to be there and, you know, really these guys kind of made history. I mean, this is going to be the the first Chargers team to play at SoFi Stadium. First time they step into that place, they're standing up for something that, that's a little bit bigger than football. So I agree with you guys. I think this past episode really kind of transcends anything we've seen with Hard Knocks. For sure. And I, Tyrod Taylor has become his own hard knocks trope as the (laughs) veteran quarterback that everybody loves inside the building that Liv Shriver, the uh, narrator of hard knocks is gushing over. And by the end of the fifth episode, you're thinking this guy is the superstar. Uh, But in reality, just like with the Brown season in 2018, he's got a hotshot rookie looking over his shoulder, but it's just interesting to see why Taylor keeps getting hired by different teams, why he gets put in that starting position, because not only is he, somebody that has the ability to lead an NFL team on the field effectively. Uh, He's just such a great leader. And you see that. And Justin Herbert has so much work to do clearly. And any first round pick, I don't care about the position that you're in, what position you play is in a tough situation. But I mean, to be a young quarterback like Herbert, he needs time to be groomed. So it's so invaluable to have Tyrod in that building. I don't feel like hard knocks did Justin Herbert a huge favor out of the gate i mean and i you know people have their takes on baker you didn't see those swishes you didn't see the swishes into the net like that yeah that's fine but i (laughs) i just i i I didn't i don't come away with this confidence that he's gonna jump in in week two and um you know enact a revolution i think that like if anything you've got the anthony lynn who is completely comfortable with tyrod taylor and so i just you you know you're around the team Chris, but I just, to me, Justin Herbert feels like a, a slow bake operation here. We don't need to push him into the fire, you know, on September uh, 13th or so. Listen, Joe Burrow is probably the exception, but like these guys have only spent time with each other for a month. You know, this, this was all done virtual in, in the off season. And Zach Taylor doesn't have a guy like Tyrod, like Anthony Lynn went to a Pro Bowl with Tyrod, or Tyrod went to a Pro Bowl rather uh, as a member of the Bills in 2015 with, with Coach Lynn on that, on that staff. So he knows Tyrod, and the biggest thing, and you guys know this better than anybody, the Chargers turned the ball over way too much last year, and Tyrod doesn't do that. So if, if they can get Tyrod in a situation to, hey, I'm not going to make mistakes, and the defense is going to get the ball a little bit more than they got last year because they didn't turn the ball over, um, that 5-11 and 11 record could easily be a 9-7, uh, a 10-6 and 6 record. I think that's what they're banking on. 
Let me ask you a question, Chris, because you are you are close, obviously, to the team. One thing I did take out of the last episode, but really the first four in general, is that Philip Rivers, and maybe it's Dan Fouts, but Philip Rivers is arguably the greatest Chargers quarterback ever. I kind of would get the vibe, and maybe this is just an editing decision by NFL Films and HBO, that Rivers would cast a greater shadow and he'd be a guy that was getting mentioned or there would just get be this feel as you're watching the show that they're moving on from this guy that was a central piece of the organization. If anything, the only thing that even got on my radar about Rivers being a p- part of this organization in the, in the past is a coach looks over to Lynn after Herbert scrambles out of the pocket and delivers a pass on the money downfield. He goes, we got a quarterback who can move now. And I was like, oh, that's the first time I've even <laughs> thought of Philip Rivers. Is he a guy like this, his shadow loom at all in that organization? Because it doesn't feel like that way on premium cable. Well, you know what's weird about it? I, I just think that the way that this whole season has shook out, like the, the release came out that, that Philip was going to test free agency and obviously he goes to the Colts. And that's in what, February? You know, and then yeah. everything that happens, you know, you know, the, the draft seems like years ago, you know, and, and that's when they drafted Justin Herbert. Tyrod's been in that building. So I, I just I, I don't want to see say Philip is thought of as like, okay, that guy's gone now because He's going to come back. He's going to have his jersey retired, and he's, he may have very well have a gold jacket. Uh, but I just think so much has happened over the last six, seven months that says, okay, you know, we we have to turn the page. We have no choice. We have this young kid in here, Justin Herbert, who possesses all the tools. We look at him as the future of the franchise, and then we have a guy in Tyrod who was here last year, and I think there's so many little changes that we don't think about too. With, with Melvin Gordon gone and. James Campen coming in to be the offensive line coach and Ryan Bulaga and Trey Turner coming in, this offense is going to look drastically different. So I just, maybe it's, maybe it's an editing decision, Dan, but, but I just feel like that they had, they turned the page in terms of making Shane Steichen, the permanent offensive coordinator, bringing in Pep Hamilton and really kind of changing the face of this offense. And I'm fascinated as anybody as to what it's going to look like week one against the Bengals because you know we just haven't seen it I think you could throw all those offensive numbers out the window from last year where they couldn't run the football I think they're going to run the football with uh with Eckler and Joshua Kelly who's been impressive and hopefully Justin Jackson who can stay healthy but I just I look at this Chargers offense as a completely new operation yeah I would say also you you have the most banged up depleted wide receiver room in, in the NFL going into week one. So it's not going to be some sort of um, air raid-esque attack to begin with. It wasn't going to be even if everyone were healthy. And Eckler to me is like, – he was the best player on the, on the field at times last year for the Chargers. And, you know, they, were, they wanted t- – there were games last year. I remember sitting back when we actually used to sit in offices across from Chris Wesley. We were both sort of scanning this late season Chargers game. And I really thought they wanted to put – Tyrod Taylor in back then it just feels like something that Lynn has wanted for a long time total run heavy approach and you've got it with Eckler and like why why shift away from that it's probably going to look closer to something from 1973 than today yeah you know what that maybe I'm answering my own question now Chris but now that Mark brought that up it reminds me that listen we we talked to people you heard whispers uh around the Chargers and the Philip Rivers situation that Maybe the reason it feels like it was such a clean break is that, you know, the Chargers, by the time last season wrapped up, they wanted one. And this is just kind of the new era. They're in Los Angeles. The jerseys are fresh. The stadium's amazing. And that's the way the organization organization is right now, just looking forward. Hey, I wanted to ask you about Derwin James, too, because 
this has happened two years in a row. Um, the year before that, Joey Bosa goes down with a foot injury. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on what you thought of the Chargers going into 2020 with Derwin, and then how much that changes in your mind without him, knowing that the defense, I think, is going to be better regardless when you talk about bringing in guys like Linval Joseph and, and Chris Harris Jr. and drafting Kenneth Murray, Drew Tranquil maybe in year two stepping up. But, uh, but losing 33 is a blow. I think if you're, if you're Gus Bradley, if you had hair, you're pulling it out because it's, this is two years in a row, and anything he wanted to do with the eyebrows defense, are going. you just can't do. You know, I think they wanted to probably run like a, a version of like constant dime defense and just put, it put him all over the field, and he's gone. And, you, and there's really no replacement. And there's still a lot of – it's kind of a star-heavy team in general, and there's stars on defense and, and names that everyone knows. But, I mean, on other teams, losing a safety, you get by. On this team, it wasn't – he's not a safety. He plays like four or five different positions. He's a total X factor that other teams, you know, spend a week trying to figure out how to deal with on Sunday. So the cost is huge, and it takes kind of a, the special element of that defense away, and you're starting from behind – with 16 games to go. And you're talking to the right guys, Chris, because uh, Mark has a, a Browns background. I grew up as a Jets fan. We know what it's like to be a snake bitten franchise and the Chargers, they fit right into that. It just feels like, you know, how many times has this happened where they seem so well lined up to have just a great season? And that's not to say this, they still can't have a great season yeah. with what they have left because they have a loaded front seven and a secondary that has depth and, and they could still make it happen. But if you just imagined what would have happened now, you got Joey Bosa under contract, you got Ingram happy. And then if you put Derwin James fully healthy for 16 games, you're talking about arguably a, a league best defense. And now, uh, James, who's talked about as you know a generational type talent at safety, uh, if and when he makes it back to the field in 2021 in Week One, and we hope he does, and it seems like he will based on the timetable, he'll have missed 27 of the last 32 games that the yeah. Chargers have played. That's just crushing, and it just it stinks uh, as a Chargers coach, Anthony Lynn, Gus Bradley, but the fans, it's it just it does really frustrate you to see a player of that caliber just disappear two years in a row almost. You know what's another blow is the fact that 2018, Joey Bosa misses the first 10-11 games. That's when Derwin had his first team all-pro rookie season. They didn't really share the field together. Last year, Joey had a mm. great year. Derwin didn't play to the last five games. And they were, you know, it's he wasn't 100% probably going into week 11 or week 12. And now this year, another missed opportunity to see those guys on the field together. That's what I was looking forward to the most, is seeing Joey Bosa and Derwin James together. And we're not going to get that in 2020. But at the same time, the interior pass rush is what was lacking uh, last year for the Chargers. We know Ingram and Bosa can get to the quarterback, but they weren't able to generate an interior pass rush. With Linval Joseph, you saw what he did in Minnesota uh, with Hunter and Griffin. If he can get to the quarterback in a division with Patrick Mahomes and, and Locke and Carr, teams that throw the football a lot, I can see that secondary getting more turnovers with Chris Harris Jr. and Casey Hayward and company, um, as opposed to last year when they were really just relying on Bosa and Ingram to, to get to the quarterback. There's, there's more guys that can do that this year. Yeah, and if you look at like the Chiefs, I think the most underrated player never talked about is Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle, who's going to take away in some games your best pass rusher. So, you know, you need to have it come from the inside. I mean, and it matters, it matters a lot more on, on, in a positive angle against like a Broncos team that 
seems to be working on their offensive line for the 407th year in a row. So it's like any extra guy in there. And Linval Joseph is, you know, the size of a front door, like an, an annoyed front door that's going to come at you. And Mark, can I interrupt problems. you for a second? Because there was, uh, there was like five or six guys who described Linval Joseph last week. Uh, Rayshon Jenkins called him a mobile home. Um, Sam Tevy called him a running Coke machine. Someone called him a Mack truck. There was like four or five different adjectives to describe him. It, it was. I like annoyed front door, personally. <laughs> annoyed I mean, annoyed front, front door doesn't <laughs> sound like it can move Add very to fast. The list. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think Limbaugh is going to make a difference on, on the defense. Um, hey, one more, and then I want you guys to pub everything you have going on in 2020. The Chargers, the fact that there's a seventh team that's going to make the playoffs this year, I, I think I, I think a lot of people forget that with everything that's going on this offseason. Um, yeah. How do you see the Chargers stacking up in the AFC and the AFC West specifically? Uh, knowing what you know, going into week one against the Bengals, uh, what do you think of the Chargers here this year? I think they absolutely fit into that wild card conversation. And I think with or without Derwin James, this is a team – to me, that has a pretty high floor. I, I feel like this is a team with a floor at like around eight wins and a ceiling up to, let's say, 10, maybe even 11 if some things go their way. And that absolutely puts you in the conversation to get back to January football. Now, you happen to have the best team in the league in your division. Again, as a Jets fan, I know what that's like with the Patriots for the past 20 years, how that was. It's annoying, but there, the pathway is there to the playoffs. And that would be huge growth for the organization, especially first year Phillip Rivers, if they can hover around 10 wins and get into the playoffs. And I think that is not a pipe dream by any stretch. I think they have, you know, the, the names to get to, to do what Dan just mentioned. I, I'm suspect of Tyrod Taylor um, as a 16 game starter, creating the, you know, an offense that makes the chargers the seventh best team in the AFC. When you've got the Steelers, the Ravens, uh, the bills, uh, you know, even in your own division, I think the Broncos and Raiders will be feisty, if not much improved themselves. So it's going to be rough. But what I do like is that you've got a, you got your veteran coaching staff. A lot of the defensive names are still the same. You know, you can always rely on Keenan Allen. Austin Eckler is that guy. So, I mean, I agree. Eight, eight wins should be the floor, or I think that's a disappointment. And with a seventh team, I know that there's all these studies that say like, no, 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 the, the seventh team probably usually will still have nine wins. But in this season, I mean, who knows? So I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, had an advantage, eked out a nine and seven, you know, schedule and, and got in there if we play 16 games. I, and one more thought I had about Tyrod, because we know what happened last time he was on hard knocks with the Browns and with Baker Mayfield behind him. The Browns were a team coming off 0-16 and, and anything yeah. would have been just winning five games that year would have been a success. And it's different with this Chargers team. And I'm just curious what happens if Tyrod plays at a steady level and the Chargers are in the playoff race, let's say by the time we get to Thanksgiving, you want to get the kid in there because that's what we do in the NFL now. We put the rookie in after about a month or so. But it's going to be different the way the Chargers are constructed and the way the playoff field is sorted out. Anthony Lynn might be tempted to keep uh, Tyrod in there uh, you know, and see what happens. Well, Dan, don't you think they probably would look a lot like the Bills team from two years ago that was very limited on offense? I mean, chose to be run heavy, very good defense, got into a wild card game and lost a, a wild card game to the Jaguars. One of what was, what was that game? Ten to nine. One of the weirdest playoff games I've ever witnessed. I mean, it's not going to go. It's not going to look like a high fly in 2020 offense. You're going to have to find other ways to to get it done. 
The thing is, I do though, think the ceiling's higher than those Bills. I, I offensively, agree with that just because I know what you're saying. Yeah. Tyrod has never had weapons like this in, in any year with the Bills, the Browns. When you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Hunter Henry and Austin Eckler, I mean, those are four guys. Austin Eckler is essentially the wide receiver three. You could line them up in the slot, line them up the outside, uh, in, out of the backfield, caught 92 balls last year. So Tyrod's never really had weapons like that. And then you couple that with just his ability to make the big plays with his legs. I'm just really intrigued to see what he looks like in an offense with uh, really competent weapons on the outside coupled with the fact that he didn't turn the ball over. Uh, where does that put you in the mm -hmm. fourth quarter? Does that put you ahead, and, and can your defense finish the job? Um, I think that's what Anthony Lynn wants to see, especially the first half of the year. If, if Tyrod can consistently keep these guys in games, then you got a really sh good shot at being a wild-card team, or who knows, at least competing with the Chiefs for the AFC West. You never know. You never know. Uh, fellas, final thing, pub what you have going on, 2020. I know the podcast, the NFL Network show – um, it's always cool to see your success. And uh, I know fans are really excited to see you guys on the network this year. Uh, thanks, Chris. Yeah, and we've loved watching the, your career explode over the last three or four years. We